Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, listen to that sound. That is the sound of puppy time. Charlie the Potcake Dog. You can follow my dog Charlie on Instagram. Charlie spelled C-H-A-R-L-E-Y after uh, Travels with Charlie in Search of America by John Steinbeck. I, of course, am traveling across the country in a van, uh, and uh, that's what's going to be happening soon. This this episode was pre-taped right before I left on the van trip with the incredible uh, Paul Verzi, but if you're listening to this now it's most likely charlie and i are in a van somewhere in america traveling i'm traveling with charlie and you can follow my social media and catch up on all the crazy adventures we're in the middle of right now but today i'm talking about an amazing and incredible uh paul verzi uh uh, the amazing incredible paul verzi he's an amazing stand-up comedian uh many of the nation's I'm going to read this right off of his website because it just it's just a great intro, okay? And go check out paulverzi.com, but it's it talk, you know, the, the the top comedy clubs in the nation are calling him one of the strongest uh, comics on the rise. Uh, his debut uh, his boy, I'm having a hard time friggin' reading today. <laughs> maybe I should cut this maybe I should edit this part out, but I'm not going to because it's authentic, right? People like it when it's authentic. Um, I think uh, his debut hour-long comedy special, Bill Burr Presents Paul Verzi, I'll Say This, debuted on Comedy Central in November. Uh, it's available uh, to stream now on ComedyCentral.com. His uh, comedy album, Night at the Stand, was number one on iTunes and reached number four on Billboard's Top 100. He's appeared on True TV. True TV's Comedy Knockout, Axis TV's Gotham Comedy Live, the NFL Network's Good Morning Football, and uh, he's written for ESPN's SB Awards, made numerous appearances at Just for Laughs. Basically, he's done a lot of shit, okay? And he's a, a, a really hilarious, hilarious guy. Uh, he's toured with Bill Burr, performed at Madison Square Garden, Carnegie Hall, grew up in New York City, in the suburbs outside New York, and uh, uh, loves his family, cigars, and having pointless sports arguments with his friends. You know, I need to have, I need to have a good uh, bio like this on my website. I'm reading Paul Verzi's website right now, which is a great website, and uh, he's got a great bio here. I wish I could read better. You know, I'm pretty good at reading, you know. I don't know if you know that about me. I've never mentioned it on the show before, but I'm actually pretty good at reading. Um, So I'm not sure why I'm stumbling over my tongue here today. But listen, things are going great. I'm just goofing around, having fun, keeping it real, man. Uh, Charlie and I are hitting it off. And I'm so excited about this new podcast, the Tom Green interview on Audio Up. And uh, now let's just jump right into it. Here's Paul Verzi. All right. Uh, Paul, how you doing, man? Good. How are you, Tom? 
Well, you, you can hear my dog barking in the background, right? <laughs> yes, I can. That's my that's my new dog. I have a, I have a pot. It's called a pot cake dog. She was born in the Bahamas, and uh, I got her at a rescue in San Diego. I've had her for three weeks. And she doesn't actually bark that much. Um, you don't ever hear her barking. But I have uh, someone here today working at the house on just painting her doghouse, actually, because uh, I want her doghouse to be nice, because I want her to have a nice doghouse. And she's excited to see the human being out there. So she's barking. So hopefully that doesn't go on for the entire uh, thing. But, hey, I just introduced you. Everybody's excited to have you here. Uh, people are listening. Paul... How are you doing? How are you dealing with the lack of, uh, you know, normalcy right now in our world? Uh, well, you know, it, it's funny, too. And first of all, I have a rescue from the, uh, not from the Bahamas, from Aruba. So I know exactly that's awesome that you did that because those dogs are the best. Um, oh, cool. But yeah, yeah. He was, he was rescued in Aruba and people teamed up here in New York. Tourists flew him over and, and uh, getting those dogs from the islands are the best. Um, but yeah, going back to your question, I, you know, I've been doing good with it because when I got coronavirus, and I think I think I told you this before, but my me and my whole family got coronavirus right at the beginning, right when the lockdown started in late March. Yeah, all, just all, get it over with, yeah. right? Get it out of the way. Get it all, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a little nerve-wracking because they really had no knowledge of it, so we were just kind of like Man, I was hearing that people were just, you know, hospital beds were running out, ventilators. So that was kind of nerve wracking. But then once we got past it and uh, we had the antibodies, I told my manager and and an agent, I said, look, if there's a place that's safe and I'm away from people, I'll get on stage and perform. So I've actually been to Arizona. I've done some outdoor shows in Connecticut, Long Island, and uh, now I'm going to start touring. I got Cleveland coming up in Atlanta. So I'm, I'm just doing it in the, in the places that are like outdoors and socially distanced and, you know, safe, half capacity and all that. So getting back to work. Do you feel safer touring and being around a lot of people because you've already had it? Like you have the antibodies, like you've got some sort of superhero kind of thing going on? I, you know what? At first, I I did because there were absolutely no cases of us, you know, of of people getting it again, people being reinfected, right? So, when um when I was talking to people and the doctor was like, the doctor was like, you're gonna have some immunity. We just don't know how long. But I knew that if my body fought it off the first time and it was okay, I knew that the antibodies would kind of know the enemy again if it came again. And to be honest with you, I. You know, I was ready to shoot a special. You know, we were we were ready to shoot a, a special. The Comedy Central special was doing phenomenal. It broke records. And then for two years, I worked really hard to put a better hour together. And we were ready to go with it. And then months without being up. So when I had the antibodies, I was like, look, I'm going to be safe. But since I do have this, I do feel more comfortable. What I didn't feel comfortable with, though, Tom, was the airplane when I went out there. Because the first time I got in an airplane, I thought, oh, there's going to be very few people. And it was kind of busy, and and that I did not like. Yeah, I'm not getting on a plane. Uh, this is what I've kind of yeah. been wondering, and and you know, I, I haven't talked to a lot of stand-ups yet who are actually back at it and doing stand-up. And I don't. Know, I have a few questions about this. I don't, you know, if 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 you don't mind, it's it's some yeah, some some are even a little. Like like, do you do you feel in any way that it's. Uh, you know, safe is it safe for the audience to come to the show? 
You know, it's it's a really good question. Like what we did, you know, yeah, because there is part of me that's going, is it irresponsible for my fans to come out and see me when I post something? Um, so what happened was when I got the antibodies and I was going out to Arizona, we were looking at numbers and this is like right before their big spike. Like, and I was actually really happy and proud of my team because William Morris called hospitals there. Um, I man everybody and, and everybody said, you're not going anywhere until we really find out what the, what their rules are. And their rules were incredibly safe, like new hotel, stay in the hotel. You're going to be away from audience. The stage is away from audience. There's three clean microphones, one for the host, one for the middle, and then one for myself. Um, so they did all of those things. Um, but then it's like, how can they control audience members to social distance if somebody gets to the bathroom and stuff? So. Um, after that, I kind of slowed down and I said, look, even though that was cool and safe and nothing happened, thank God, um, I'm waiting for numbers to really be down and for clubs to start opening. And then that's what's happening now. So to answer your question, after the first time I did get a little more like, you know, uh, you know what? It's not just about me. It's also about the fans that come out for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll leave it at that. Uh, you know, um, my dog is barking a little bit, which is obviously kind of, uh, Ridiculous. <laughs> I have two options right now as a as a host and uh, and and uh, performer here. Uh, I can go take the dog, uh, pause this interview, and uh, slow down the nice rhythm we've got going. Take the dog to another room, or I can let reality unfold before our eyes and have a dark uh, a, a barking pot cake dog from the Bahamas in the background occasionally through the show. I, I'm kind of curious to ask you a little bit about your dog. So you said you have a dog from the Caribbean. Is it a pot cake dog? That's what they call these dogs from the Bahamas. They call them pot cake dogs because they uh, are raised eating the, the burnt rice along the, 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 the bottom of the pots that they've been fed over the years. So uh -huh. like the stray dogs over there. It's not a weed thing. I'm not feeding my dog weed. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> like what's your dog look like? As, I wonder if our dogs look the same. No, my dog is, I think, I think I saw a picture of your dog online. My dog is a little bigger. My dog, um, they call them a Rubian Canuco and a Rubian Canuco basically like, um, these like traders from people from Portugal in like the 1600s came over to the island bringing these dogs. So half the people think Arubian Canucos are their own breed and other people say that they're mutts. They are pretty much mutts, but they're the same looking mutt. Um, but our guy has a little bit of Sharpay. He's got a little bit of the loose skin under his neck and the wrinkles. So somewhere in there. Um, and then I looked up that there is a big Sharpay population in Aruba, but um, the sad thing is they found my dog and his brother at seven weeks old in a dumpster. And they're basically, unfortunately, they're killing like 200 of these dogs a month at a kill shelter because they're running wild all over the island. There's so many of them. And so these nice people teamed up with people in New York and they got tourists on board to bring these dogs on the plane, have them come to rescue shelters in New York. And that's where we saw our guy online and we ended up getting him. But he's probably about 55 pounds, medium sized dog, beautiful looking dog. And, um, yeah, he was just like what they do is they hang out on the rocks against the beach. They go after like lizards and they're just, you know, they're just kind of street dogs that have now kind of been like more and more domesticated, but he's awesome. You know, I'll be honest with you, Tom, I'd be on the road in a hotel 
And uh, my wife would call me up and be like, you got to get this thing out of here. He's jumping. He's biting because he was just wild. He's like a he was more, they're more like primitive at first. Like uh-huh. they're, he's like, a you know, he's, a, he's running around wild. He's a street dog. Well, especially and, when um, they're puppies. I mean, they're teething and stuff at that early age. Mine's teething right now and is a little wild. If you look on my Instagram, you can see Charlie is uh, Charlie's a girl and she's <laughs> just going nuts running around the couch and everything. It's just ridiculous. But I'm having fun. So. No, that she's. I saw your dog. It's great looking dog, and uh, yeah, it's nice to it's nice to have that. Like especially during this, because now it's like you know you were probably sitting there for months alone, and now it's like you get to hang out with your buddy, and it kind of changes the pandemic a little bit. I'd imagine it's great. I'm really enjoying it, and uh, and it's uh, you know I had huskies for years, so I, I I missed having dogs, and I'm really happy that I made this decision in my life. So. So your podcast, how long have you been doing it? You've done a lot of episodes of your podcast, right? Well, the thing is, my podcast kind of just started out as me, to be completely honest, it's like me practicing comedy. So I would just do these audio ones and put it out because, like, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I was just a young comic, you know, and I was doing spots in the city and I was up and coming. And then, you know, I started opening for for Burr for a while. And, and I was just like, you know, I remember talking to Burr and he's like, watch what happens to your stand up when you do a podcast, especially you do one alone. So I was just doing these audio ones and just kind of putting them out and putting them out. And I started to slowly, you know, see it grow. And then when I started to do the unacceptable segment, people started sending me their unacceptables. And then the show started to gain some steam. But to be honest, I kind of reinvented it during pandemic i built a studio in my home uh we had this little room off the garage that we were like nothing's going on in here why don't i just do something with this so after we got better from COVID, i made a studio i said you know what i'm going to start doing video start having start having guests great guests you were gracious enough to do the show and so it just kind of reinvented itself it went from me just doing these audio ones thanking people that came to my shows and just kind of riffing and using that muscle to now more of like a video show and, and more something that, you know, as podcasts grow, um, more serious. And not that I wasn't taking it seriously, but I'm a stand-up first guy, and I, and I always, you know, have been. That's, that's kind of my true, true love. So Bill Burr, essentially, he's been very supportive of you. He produced your comedy special, is that right, or was involved with that? Yeah, yeah. So Bill, you know, Bill and I met years ago, and I was featured for him. And he, you know, it was kind of one of his first, it was one of his first, like, weekends where it was, like, his weekend. I think it was, like, 05, 06. I was on, like, a few years in. And um, it was, like, Opie and Anthony Crowd came out to see him in Montclair, New Jersey, 400 people. There was a line around the block. And he um, he heard my set from downstairs. I was petrified. You know, I'm a couple year, a few years in, and it's like packed out, and uh, it's all Opie and Anthony people to see Bill. And um, thank God I did well. And he was like, "Hey man, were you the other guy on the show?" He's like, "I heard it." He's like, "I'm gonna watch your next set." And we just kind of hit it off that way, and yeah. we just kind of. Yeah. And, and then and then like in 08, hey, man, you want to come to D.C. with me? I'm doing the D.C. improv and I started opening for there. But it was amazing working for a guy working with a guy like that and, and, and opening because with Bill, Bill doesn't like lie or, or say things to say them. And he's not going to give false hope. <laughs> so like we would do a weekend and he would go, hey, nice job. I remember he would say, nice job this weekend. 
And and then all of a sudden, like a year later, hey man, that bit you did about this, that's really funny and clever. To then like three years after that, I remember sitting with him one time and he was just like, dude, watching what you're doing is a beautiful thing. And you're just, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna sell out clubs. And, and I remember he said that and in my mind, I'm going like, what's he talking? I'm making like $400 this week, you know? And he's just like, no, you're gonna, you're gonna do this and you're gonna sell out. And I, and then like in 16, we, I don't, I don't open for him all the time. He's on the West coast. I'm on the East coast. But we're such good friends, and and so when we could get a chance to work together, so we toured Canada together. And I remember I got off stage at one of those hockey, like minor league hockey um, arenas, and he was just like, "Man, did that material like you, you know?" We start talking about a special, and he was like, "You know, I'll put my name on it." And that was really like to me, Tom. That meant like you know that meant so much because I was working so hard and doing spots at night, late at night, leaving my family. I live up in the suburbs, so I'd leave my family and go do it. And then to kind of get that from, from not only like a friend, but like a colleague that is, is really at the top of his game and one of the best guys to do it. Um, I, it was, if it was really like amazing and, and validating for the work. And sometimes when I was down, that brought me back up. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Bill, Bill's been very supportive of so many comics. He said some nice things to me over the years when I was getting back into stand up, he was very supportive of, of what I was doing too. And I really appreciated it. I, I kind of think that's a, some, sometimes, uh, you know, I mean, you, you think sometimes when you get into stand up that it's going to be more competitive than it, than it is, you know, but it actually, it, I don't find it is. I find that the stand up community, both in New York and LA, everybody's just so supportive of each other. I find it amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do too. I think that, I think that like, it's a lot of that stuff is built in our heads. A lot of, a lot of it is like, Oh, well, this person's doing that. This person's doing that. And, and, uh, I remember I was at the stress factory in New Brunswick one time and Rich Voss was back there and Rich, you know, Rich's wife, Bonnie McFarland was a who was super funny comic. She's like, Oh, Rich wants to talk to you in the back. And he's like, just talking to me about it. He's like, you know, a lot of comics think, that they're competing with each other. He's like, you know, I've done all these shows and I've been doing this for years. He's like, you're just competing against yourself. It's just like, just get, just get better. Like, and I, I, I don't know if you play golf. I like to play golf sometimes on my free time and it's just get your score lower. That's how I look at it. It's like, if I put out an album, I put out an album in 2015 and it did well, then I wanted to make sure my special that I did on Comedy Central was better. And now this next special that we're going to do is better. So I just love stand up and I love evolving with it and just getting better and if everything you put out is better than the next that's really all you could ask that's how i look at it for sure that's a great piece of advice just compete against yourself i think that maybe america could collectively hear that right now and the world and all people because i think everybody's so divided i don't want to talk politics but just people are so divided right now and everybody feels like somebody's taking something from them and and uh you know if we just kind of like all just focused on ourselves and tried to figure out how to improve our own lives probably the world would be a better place hey isn't that amazing that we're literally solving the problems of the world today here with paul bersey yeah we just we just did it you did it. You, you did it. You did it. You did it. You just, you just literally yeah. solved the problems of the world. Is that a, a big part of, of, of what, what drives you to get up on stage and tell jokes or to get on your podcast and speak your mind? Is, are you driven by any sort of desire to, to make change in the world? Is it to uh, have a social yeah. impact? Is it just because you're pissed off? Is it because you like hearing people laugh? Is it all of the above? That's actually a great question. That's one of the best questions that I've been, I've been on a million podcasts and nobody actually asked. 
and and I, I think that the the best way to say it is like when I'm you pretty good. At, I'm, pr- I'm pretty good at this. Like I'm pretty good at what I do. Yeah, you're great at it. Yeah, I ask like I ask good questions and stuff. I'm good at this, right? <laughs> I may have a dog. I may have a dog barking in the background, but I'm, I'll get that sorted out, Paul. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think I think it's a great question because I think that there's levels to comedy. Like I always kind of said, like you do it in your 20s, you start to get really good at it in your 30s. And then if you stick with it and it's something that you and then in your 40s, you're kind of like one of, you know, one of the guys or like hopefully, you know, like somebody that's just really kind of up there in in the game as far as just headlining top clubs and really evolving each hour. Um, But, you know, when I first did it, it was like fake. I had fake anger. What's the deal with this? But that wasn't who I was. And then all of a sudden I found my voice. But now I just want to speak truth. Like I was talking on my podcast about something you just said. And I'm going like, I'm tired of every election. And if you notice this, and this is not a political thing, and I don't talk politics either. I try to see everybody's point on every on every side and just try to put myself in everybody's shoes. But, you know, every year from George W. I remember from like W. Bush to the two terms of Obama to the first term of Trump. And they're doing it. And every year it's like, this is the most important of your life. This is the most important of your life. And at one point I got to the point where I'm like, there's a problem here because if I keep being told that this is the most important one of my life every four years, then it's maybe it's not the politics. Maybe it's the people. It's the people. So the people need to start treating each other like, and you just made a perfect point until people stop acting like this group's trying to take, or this group's trying, everybody's trying to get something from them. And listen, in some cases there are. So I'm not saying all people's political views are, I'm just saying that there needs to be, in my opinion, some sort of, of middle ground. I think a lot of people, Tom, are taking themselves too seriously. And I don't want to sound redundant on podcasts, but when I did, I did Burr and, 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 and Burt Kreischer's podcast, and we were just joking about everybody saying, I want to be on the right side of history. And like, that's such an arrogant, of course you do. Like, of course you do. But nobody's writing about you in a book. It's, it's like, it's like, just treat people. And that's how I'm raising my kids. Treat people with respect. I have a 10 year, I have an 11 year old son and an eight year old little girl. And the number one thing that me and my wife tell them is you treat people the way that you want to be treated always and you always think about other people's feelings and you have empathy for them. And if you live your life like that, um, then there's really, there really shouldn't be any problems. And, and I, I really believe that. So not what, to go off on a tangent. No, nah, that's, that's what this is all about, right? It's a podcast. Yeah. I want to hear you go off and uh, yeah. vent and rant and, and speak yeah. your mind, right? <laughs> uh, otherwise, it'll just be me here listening to... Nothing. Your right? dog bark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the line. See, you, you had the, you, you you nailed the punchline there. Of course, it's the dog bark, man. The dog's been good now, though. I like that. The dog's been pretty good. Um, yeah. Like so, what, what what do you think this 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 pandemic is doing to 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 kids? I don't have kids, but I can't imagine how confusing this would be for me if I was a kid right now. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, at one point my eight year old girl just started crying and she's like, I can't see my friends. And this is awful. Like she just wanted to get back to, to life. She just wanted to get back to the, you know, the, the routine of school and seeing her friends. Um, we did quarantine with one family who we're very close with and, um, we all got tested. And when we all got tested and we knew, and, um, 
we knew who had antibodies, who didn't and stuff. So after the quarantine and everybody was okay, they were able to see a couple of their close friends because, um, you know, we did that. So that was, that kind of helped, but yeah, really weird, you know, really weird. And, and the, the homeschooling is not what, listen, I don't care. Any parents are listening to this, they're, they're not paying attention. Okay, they're sitting in front of a computer. They're they're in their room. They're looking over at their PlayStation. They're looking up in the air. There's just a teacher in the background. Talk, they, and, and and both of my kids are good students. It's just it was really different and it's not the same. So um, now they are doing the hybrid. I don't know. Have you heard about this hybrid thing, Tom? No, I don't know what that. So the hybrid thing is they're going to go in Monday, Tuesday, and every other Wednesday. And uh, I guess every other Wednesday oh, they're going to do okay, all okay, yeah. So they, te- they, they go in on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then they tell the virus to come in on Thursdays and Fridays. They, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I said. <laughs> that's exactly what I said the Perfect. other day. I go, why, why are they going in? I go, listen, either if you're going to do two or three days a week with the students, the virus isn't going to be like, oh, that's so funny you just said it, because the virus isn't going to be like, oh, it's Wednesday. we gotta, uh, we got to hold off. Did like, I just jump on your punchline there? Or did I just... No, 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 no. Actually, no, you thought of it. That was you. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, um, yeah but it, I did I did say, though, yesterday when we were eating, I go, like, you know what's going to happen, too? One teacher is going to be positive or one adult is going to be positive because they're going to do something irresponsible. And then it's going to just shut down and they're going to be sitting in front of their laptops at, at home anyway. I hope that doesn't happen. And I, it really is encouraging what's happening in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Numbers of COVID are insanely down, and and things are really moving in the right direction, thank God. So, you know, we're just trying to be positive. But, yeah, it is a definitely a different world for, for my kids, and, you know, we'll see what happens. So do you when you're not when you're not touring are you writing j- jokes uh, is it is it easy to write if you're not on stage or 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 do you kind of like focusing on other things right now how do you how do you kind of adapt to a situation like this where all of a sudden life changes so so dramatically Um it was better for me writing cuz I've always been a writer where it comes in waves Um it's really kind of weird with me. I remember I've had a full-fledged panic attack because when I did Night at the Stand, my first album, which I did in 15, um, it was going great. It was getting good sales. It was doing great on iTunes. I mean, got Billboard and all that. I'm going great. And three months, I had nothing. And I'm going, oh, my God, like, is it over? Did I work so hard on that hour that I can't? And then all of a sudden, a wave came. Same with the special. So when the pandemic came, I kind of just was like, I think you'll appreciate this too. You know when you feel like, if you don't get on stage, right? As a comedian, when we don't get on stage, we get a little, you know, four or five days, you just start to, and you start thinking, wow, the guys that are in my class or my group or my generation, they're all getting up tonight and I'm off. So even though you go try to enjoy the movie and you try to enjoy the dinner in your mind, you're going, ah, they might be getting better or like, I need to, and not, not better, (laughs) but like they're working. I'm not working. Yeah. But you now, because nobody's working, is that what you're going to say? I, I've been thinking about this, it, it, I think. Exactly. Now that everybody's in this boat, then it's like, okay, I can just live a little and now let the jokes come to me and let these life experiences come to me and, and it'll come. So things just just started to happen. But what I've noticed was the the older I got and the, the more experience I got in comedy, able to make something that happens in life go, go into a bit like that night, you know, like that night. So like, you know, my wife sends me out to Walgreens to go get something and something happens. Now I'm like, oh, I got to, that was pretty, I think there's something there. And I'll just kind of the life experiences. So the pandemic has given me a lot of that. 
So much of it is about comfort level on stage, too, do you find? Like, if, if you yeah. deliver a new idea and you're, you know, new at stand-up and you're kind of nervous when you deliver it, it's not going to connect. But if you have a new idea and you're just so comfortable because you're on stage every night and you've been doing it for decades, you know, at that point, you can almost just sort of try stuff out and you're much more likely to connect. Do you think that's something that young people who are getting into comedy need to understand, that it's just about, like, being relaxed? Yeah. Yes. And that's one thing where um, I, I've seen it with a few people. I've seen it with a few people when they start out. And uh, one person was was uh, my good friend, Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson was somebody who he went through something when he was younger. And when he started to feel better, it was through comedy albums. And I remember people were watching Pete at like 16 or 17. And he just stood there. And he would just stand there and just kind of calmly talk. And it was almost like it didn't even matter what he was talking about the material at the time, because it's really hard to have a lot of material or material that's like people can relate to when you're 16 or 17 or 18 years old. But he had this calmness and this like just like didn't need to overdo it, didn't need to get angry, didn't need to be animated. He just kind of and it was like, wow, it was rare. And I remember I think it was Jim Brewer or somebody who was like, wow, that was like reminded me of, you know, like guys like Chappelle, not not that not saying he was as good as Chappelle, but like guys that just stand there and talk. And I think a few people that study it and love it have a thing where they're like, I'm just going to go up there. If you notice a lot of comics that just stand there and they're not too not too animated. If you notice them, there's almost like this quiet confidence of like, I don't need to do that. And like where me, I started at 21 and I was funny, but I was like, you know, would get angry or I would, I would, you know, and it was almost like a defense mechanism. Like, well, if I'm aggressive now, if I'm aggressive, nobody's going to bother me and they're going to see that this and that. And I'm just going to show that I'm funny. And, and, and now it's like, now that I've slowed down so much and found my voice, I realized and you know, and it took me probably a good like nine and a half, 10 years to find my voice. It's just sort of getting up there and doing it night after night after night that you just sort of find this comfort level, I guess, right? Well, one, one thing that I respect about you, and I don't mean to embarrass you or, or make you feel uncomfortable on your own show, uh, Tom, but uh, okay, okay. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, is like a guy like you who who um, you know did it and then you know found success in a show and did all the things that you did, and I always like admire like and then all of a sudden seeing you at the stand or just seeing you in a club just because you want to get up and create stand up and keep doing it because you love it and it's like that's the that's the thing like I've heard guys go like you know yeah well you know what the 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 point is to get into movies and become a millionaire and then you do you do it on your terms and it's like you know and that's the whole thing that's the whole thing with this podcast thing like I've gotten into some arguments with comedians going stand ups over Paul like the time is podcast this is podcast and I, I, I say to this to them, I'm like, look, I'm going to do what I love. Okay. Like I didn't get in this business to, and listen, I have a podcast. I love doing podcasts and I know that podcasts are a thing that people enjoy, but uh, like the whole idea like, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't go with trends. I'm not going to go, well, this is big now. And this is what's getting people rich now. So that's what, that's what I want to do. I do it. Like I love stand up. I'm going to always do that. Of course I'll adapt. Of course I'll do a podcast, but I didn't get in the business to be a radio host. I didn't get, I never said when I was 21, I want to be a podcast host. You know, I didn't drop out of college 
to to do that. I dropped out of college because I wanted my college to be stand up yeah. in the city and do yeah. that. So, you know, I think that it's always it's want, always it's always good to have a real good reason to drop out of college. <laughs> exactly. If I'm dropping out of college, yeah. okay, I'm, I'm dropping out of college reasons. for this, not for this. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. I'm dropping out of college to tell dick jokes at, at one o'clock in the morning in the village. Okay. Not start a radio show, but no. So I, I, I was, uh, I was talking to my buddy, Giannis Pop, his funny comic that I was saying, I said, listen, I go, when you do what you love, the stress about money is actually less because if you just go for where you think the money is, then there's always stress. Then it's like, oh, man, I got to do this. I gotta do. If you just do what you love, I just feel like money and, and, and all that stuff and recognition is just a byproduct of, of creating good stuff. That, that's how I look at it. And that's like what I, you know, what I what I want to do and, and why I did it. And that's why I, going back to what I was saying, I admire you because, you know, you're a guy that had the, the, a hit show and you've done so much. And then all of a sudden you're like back in the club working material. And I think it's I think it's awesome. And it just goes to show that you just love stand up. There's just there's just nothing like being in front of an audience. I mean, you can do a podcast or a TV show or a movie and it's that's exciting and fun, but it's a completely different thing. It's it's not even comparable. Just the the process of putting together a film or a television show is so many people involved, all of these rules and technical aspects to it and and then to top it all off you know you you write the joke and you're not performing it uh, for you know months later and it might not even be funny to you anymore by the time you're performing it and you're performing it in tiny little pieces that get edited together and there's nobody there laughing I mean there's just that's the reason we get into doing comedy in the first place was because we probably you know like making people laugh right I, I assume that's where it always starts from for for everybody right you you were cracking up your friends or cracking up your classmates at school is that how it started for you yeah i think i think what it was too was um and i learned this later in life um it's my my parents had a brutal divorce when i was five and my brother was 10 and unfortunately you know, when we were with my mom after, you know, my mom and, and dad split, like we moved a lot. And so I would get really popular and then I would be comfortable and, and I'd have friends and I'd play sports. And then all of a sudden I would move and be, be heartbroken, really, you know, and, and it hurt. But the one constant was that wherever I went um, and when I would move, I noticed that when I would tell a story, or when I, I make people laugh and people are like, watch Paul do that impression of Eddie Murphy or watch, you know, listen to this story. And like, I would just have people crack up. And I started to see it in like, like later in elementary school, beginning of junior high, it started to happen. And I think that was my outlet. I think that the, the talent that I had to make people laugh was kind of my, my escape, hanging out with my friends because I, uh, you know, I lost the security. I think when my, my dad and mom split and everything, I just, my sense of security was, so I guess just using that. And I realized that later, I don't know if I would be doing this if my parents had stayed together, the marriage was great. I think they probably would have driven me for some sort of career in college. But I think because I was, I might've been funny and had some talent, but I don't know if I would have actually said, this is what, cause when I saw Eddie Murphy as a kid, I'm like, I want to do that. And that's, that's when, you know, when my parents had split, so. Did you used to listen to Delirious on uh, cassette? <laughs> no, mine was raw. 
Oh, Raw, mine yeah. Was raw. yeah. Raw in the movie theater was mine. Because, yeah, yeah. yeah he, yes, that was the one that, like, we, he took us to the movie theater, and, and that was, you know, that was that one. So um, that might my have been grandmother. The, the first time I maybe even remember knowing what stand-up comedy was was when Delirious came out on cassette yep. we would listen to it on cassette when we were kids and, and somebody had a <laughs> somebody had a bootleg cassette of Eddie Murphy Delirious and we would just go listen to it and i think we were just so amazed to hear like swearing and like you know you know just the performance Mr. Ice Cream Man you know all that stuff it was just yeah. we, we were repeating every line and i mean i'm talking i don't know we were probably like 7 years old or something like that you know and it just was this whole world opened up which was so exciting so yeah who who are some of your favorite comedians today bill burr of course uh but uh, anyone else people that you that you like uh, watching in in new york that maybe no one knows about or people that you've interviewed um you know that's a good question i i love because i appreciate everybody in every style so like when i watch something i'm more about like oh that person's bit or whatever um but there are certain people that i'm just like i i just love to watch what they're going to do um i think uh doug stanhope is somebody that is is really not talked about enough as far as like where that guy's mind can go. Uh, I think he's, I think he's brilliant guy. Yeah. Um, he's just like, you watch that guy go and you're just like, Oh my God. It's like that guy is, you know, really just truly, truly brilliant. And there's a bunch of comedians in New York. Like, you know, I love watching, um, you know, Dan Soder's really funny, Giannis Pappas and, and a bunch of guys that like are, are at this, at the stand and stuff. And I just like watching, but I just, like I said, there's, there's something that somebody has, like there could be a comedian that I don't particularly like or would watch for an hour. And I'm like, oh my God, that person has the bet. That's the best fat joke I've ever heard. Like, so I just look at the, like, I'm like, oh, that bit is so great. And I just really appreciate it and, and you know, I love the art. But I want to actually ask you a question real quick, if I could. Sure, sure, um, absolutely. With your show, because your show was so, and we've spoken about this before, but like your show was so kind of like the first type of Borat thing. I, I always look at it like that. Or Sasha Baron Cohen, you were kind of doing it. Were you was like were, before your show were you looking for attention doing that stuff or were you more calculated like i think that this is the type of show people want to see like i think that the reactions of what i'm going to do is going to be a good show or was that what you were doing anyway oh yeah well you know definitely i was a nutty goofball right so it's sort of like you <laughs> sort of like what you were saying i moved around a lot when i was a kid too my dad was an army uh army guy right so we moved every year so i was always the new kid i was goofing off at yes. school and and uh, my friends and i were skateboarders and shit disturbers and we'd go out you know downtown on our boards and try to raz our way through through our life you know and try to get you know crack people up so you know and you know there was a lot of you know video cameras were new you know home video and and you know i was watching letterman and i was watching him go out in the street and do stuff so you know a lot of it was inspired Inspired by David Letterman, a lot of it was inspired by skateboarding. I just wanted to go out and, uh, you know, probably very similar to your story and so many comedians. I just had a lot of pent up energy and a lot of creativity, and I wanted to put it into something. So I uh, 
didn't have to ever get a real job, right? So yeah, so <laughs> yeah, no man, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, it worked out for us, and uh, we can keep uh, doing what we love. And you know, I mean, this has been such a drag this year. I mean, on so many levels, I worry about everybody in the world who's going through all the suffering. But you know, just on a personal level, I would, you mentioned the stand. I had so much fun in New York City last year. I came up and was doing some spots around town, and was really looking forward to spending some more time hanging with you and all the comics up in New York. And I'm, I'm I really can't wait till uh till this shit is over and i can uh, get back to the city and come uh, do some spots up in in uh in new york with uh with you yeah. and everyone you know yeah yeah it's a shame like going you know seeing what's going on down there and um you know i went i actually was at the stand a couple of days ago because we shot something for uh for uh an, an online thing they had comedians eating the pizza and stuff and they are trying to open up with you know some food and, and drink and some some outdoor shows on the thing but it's just really like right now everything going on and you know uh, the governor uh, cuomo's got things just shut down for a while so it's gonna be it's gonna be a while but on a positive note my prediction is i I think that I think that it's going to be it's going to everything is going to roar again when it, when it's time. Now, whether that time is January of 22 or or sometime in 2021. But I believe that comedy is going to come back with a vengeance. I believe restaurants are going to thrive. And I believe once this is all over and people kind of realized what they might have been taking for granted, the fact that you could just go out and get sushi with your family on a Monday night and that just got taken away. I think we're going to be in good shape. I think movie theaters are going to come back. I think that it's going to be um, I think things are going to thrive again. That's what at least that's what I have to tell myself. I'm not one of these pessimistic, you know, oh, it's over. It's over, Tom. It's over. So, you know, I, and, and listen, <laughs> believe it or not, there's people like that, man. I got friends like it's over, dude. I think stand up's over. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do. We're, we're going to I mean, some of our friends are never going to work again. And I'm going like, I can't I can't live like that. Yeah. Like, you know, I can't live like that. So yeah. I'm going to look at it the other way. I I I I I I, uh, I like to think the same thing. And I can't wait for that day when we can get out there and tell some more jokes and hang out and have some fun at the stand and. The cellar and the, the, all the great clubs in New York. What an amazing city for stand-up. I'm, well, listen, Paul, I appreciate it. This has been an amazing episode. I can't wait to talk to you again in person uh, soon. And what's what's next for you? What's going? Uh, what's on the agenda for the next uh, the next few weeks and, and months? You're doing your podcast, and where where can people hear that? Yep. Yep, people could uh, hear the podcast now. It's video on the official, on my YouTube channel. You could just go to Paul Verzi YouTube channel. It's V-I-R-Z-I. We uh, put all the episodes, videos up, clips up. It also has um, stand-up. Um, and uh, yeah, next weekend I will be at Hilarities in Cleveland. That's limited seating because um, you know we're being safe there. And then also the week after I'll be at the Punchline in Atlanta. That's very limited seating. Um, all those dates are on PaulVerzi.com. You can um, follow me. Please follow me on Instagram at PaulVerzi um, and uh, Twitter and everything. And Tom, man, it's always the best talking to you, man. From the first time I met you at the stand. To when you came on my podcast and every time I talk to you, dude, you are just the absolute best. You're gracious. You're hilarious. And uh, they should all be like you, brother. And I mean that. Oh, thank you, Paul. Likewise, right back at you, man. I appreciate it. And uh, you be safe and go kill it in Cleveland. Say hi to Nick for me, okay? Will do. And good luck with your dog. I hope she likes her house. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Paul Verzi. Thanks, later. man. Talk later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.
What a great conversation with Paul Verzi. Everybody go see him uh, on the road in a stand-up comedy club or theater near you when stand-up comes back with a vengeance. And uh, follow me on Instagram uh, at Tom Green and uh, on Twitter at Tom Green Live and on YouTube, youtube.com slash Tom Green, where I'm always putting lots of clips and, and videos and things from my travels. Uh, as I mentioned, this show was taped just before uh, we went out on the road, but uh, I am on the road now, and uh, many of these current episodes of the Tom Green Podcast will be coming from the road. Uh, I am uh, going to be broadcasting, and am broadcasting now, depending on how you look at it, from my van, and uh, it's great. I've, I've built this incredible studio in my van, and uh, I'm living in my van, And I'm touring this beautiful and incredible uh, nation, the United States of America. I'll be up traveling around Canada, too, uh, probably after the winter. And uh, it's going to be a whole new world for me and for this podcast. Keep listening to the Tom Green interview. Please subscribe and uh, tell your friends to subscribe. And uh, come come check out what I'm doing on Instagram right now. There's a lot of crazy shit happening. Me and Charlie are having a good time. I got my fishing rod. I got my Coleman stove. I'm cooking over a campfire every night. Life is good. So thanks again for listening. All the best to you. And be safe out there. Bye. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find the ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.